Over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Oh, yeah, it is. We're back in studio this week. We were talking last hour just a little bit about the last two years. You could blame everything on COVID. And we haven't been out doing live broadcasts much. Uh, One, no one's requested it. (laughs) But we were very fortunate to be able to participate last weekend in a live broadcast uh, from the University of Arizona campus for the Tucson Festival of Books, which has come back live after not being held the last two years. And uh, I think I deserve uh, a gold, a purple heart and a golden crown for leaving a two-day book festival with only eight books. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will, in, on, on the sake of full transparency, I will confess, I took a man's card who had a 20-foot booth called Tell Me a Story. And selling antique books is the primary fundraising activity for this 501c3. And they're contemplating discontinuing appearances at the book festival, and they have a 20-foot booth full of antique books. Well, I had to pick a few of them. (laughs) Of course. And then I had to pick the man's card up. And I said, look, buddy, (laughs) listen, Hawkeye, if if you're serious about liquidating your entire supply of antique books, my wife would love it if they ended up up at my house. (laughs) I could have stayed in that booth. For the entire two days. It it was unbelievable. But I do want to take my hat off because one of the things they do at the book festival, and and folks, I'm I'm killing time right now for those of you that want to call in and ask questions about your home remodeling, your home maintenance, or your home repair. Now's the time for you to jump online. 1-888-767-4348. Anything, any question you have about your house, home, castle, or cabin, Let me put my 48 years of building and remodeling homes in Arizona to work for you. I'll I'll give you tricks of the trade. I'll give you tips. Romy's 20-plus years of building and remodeling in Arizona will put it all to work for you at your house. Give us a ring. The call's toll-free wherever you're listening to us, 1-888-767-4348. One of the things that I love about Festival of Books is they give so many classes. I think it was two hundred. It was either two hundred thirty-eight or two hundred sixty-eight. Well, there was thirty-one stages, stages, and they were they had four or five Pat. every day. You could hear their applauses from all the different stages as the seminars were being held. It was it was great. Like I say, it's absolutely one of my favorite activities of, of that goes on in Arizona at all. Um, one of the classes was. Let's talk about the border. And it was a panel discussion by Terry Green Sterling, Miriam Davidson, and Susan Briante. And let's talk about the border. 
There was now, no, no yelling. Was I supposed to know who any of those people were? They're all authors. <laughs> okay. Uh, creative writing uh, instructors and research uh, people, uh, <laughs> all with good books on let's talk about the border. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. There was no political statement made. It was just let's talk about the border. And we're never going to get anywhere on the border if we don't talk about it. And I've said for years, if you want to talk about the border, I will talk to you after you read four books. I think Daryl and Carlo's book, Another Man's Sombrero, is an excellent book. I think the book by John Ashcroft, Alligators in the Moat, is an excellent book. And Daryl... He flew down to Mexico. He lived on the border to write and, the book. And then hiked back across. That's right. For taking that trail. Yeah. It, it's a great book. Uh, there's another book called Tears of Esperanza by Bill Lace, which is a good book. Um, and then there's one you've got to read, and it's called Dying to Enter. So now I have three more autographed books. <laughs> From Terry Green Sterling, go add to that read list. Miriam Davidson, and Susan Briante that I'm going to read uh, and uh, see what the, what they have to say and can contribute to the conversation. But, uh, boy, it, it is my growing soapbox is this, and it's been – and I'm not blaming anybody. It's been broken through the Bush administrations. It was broken through the Clinton administrations. It was broken through the Barack Obama administration. It's broke now. It's, it was broke during the Trump administration. It's broke, broke, broke. There's a humanitarian way to fix this and be safe. And, and neither party wants to do anything about it. Okay, let's talk about home improvement. Ding, 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 ding. Pivot, pivot, pivot. And by way of catch up, I want to talk a little bit about some questions we got while I was uh, on the road in Tucson. Uh, one of the questions from Jim is, Rosie, you, you keep telling us to change our heat pump air filters once a month. And I keep doing it. And I'm convinced that many times when I open that screen and look at those filters, they can easily go another month. <laughs> they don't even look dirty. That's true, Jim. Now, your heat pump is is a $7,000 piece of equipment. The filter is $3. (laughs) You decide. Well, and like right now, we're – it's not running that much. It doesn't need to run that much to cool it. You're not moving that much airflow because the weather is doing our air conditioning for us. So – Should I change – should I change? You know, if, if change you, it every month except October and March. <laughs> you know, take it out to the back patio. You hit the cardboard edge against the, the the concrete. Knock that dust off and slap it back in there. But like Rosie said, and you said seven thousand dollars. I mean, a new air conditioning unit installs that's a small three one. times that. Yeah, that's a small one. Um, I was surprised by a home I was at this week where they replaced a four-ton, and it was $22,000. I thought, wow, thank you very much. Hallelujah, baby. So I I guess, Jim, technically, yes, you can stretch the filters, but in my mind, for my investment, for what it costs to replace it, um, I like the habit 
of doing it and thereby knowing I'm always allowing the filter to do its job before the air reaches the expensive piece of air handling equipment, the coil. Okay? So there's that. Here's one, Rumi. Uh, you answer this. I need a new toilet. Why should I use a plumber instead of a big box store? Well, the big box stores, if they're, if you buy it through them and they do the install, they don't do the work themselves. That's true. You, you're, you're, they send out a plumber that has a contract to get the work from the big box store. So you're still getting a plumber either way. Um, now, a lot of times those contractors that have the contracts with those big box stores are, you know, massive size companies that can do a move a lot of volume. Yeah. And to move a lot of volume, you have to have a lot of people. You know, I, I training that volume of people and keeping and having the skill set required that you're going to find from mom pop going to be challenging. And I'd much rather work with a plumber I selected than work with a plumber that they tell me I have to use. And, I, and my answer to that question has changed just in the last couple months. Romy, do you know how many options there are available in toilets? Oh, gosh. You know, you can get mood lights for your toilet. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> didn't know about uh -huh, mood lights. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? Uh, there are completely hands-free toilets. They wash you and they dry you. And it's a completely hands-free operation. Depending, and, de and in that, you need a plumber and electrician to run yeah, the yes, power supply yeah, yeah, to the back do, of the exactly. commode. <laughs> I, I would tell you that purchasing a toilet should be a minimum of a 30-year purchase. An absolute minimum. I would tell you not to buy a toilet without going to a plumbing wholesale showroom and spending an hour visiting with someone that really knows toilets and talk about everything that's available. So get over to Central Arizona Supply. Get over to Hughes. Get over to Ferguson. Get over to some wholesaler to give you an education on what's truly available. And then they will kind of go from there. <laughs> and then, and then the, the great thing about shopping at a wholesaler, a specialty wholesaler, is once you make the selection, just ask uh, the accounting department there. Uh, which plumber have you been doing business with the longest that pays their bills on time that seems to run an organized operation? Bing! Now you've picked your toilet. Now you've picked your plumber. Bada bing, bada boom. Or you just go to rosieonthehouse.com, type to in the zip code of your residence, select the category of interest. Everybody on the list has been in business locally five years. They've gone through the screening process, background check, signed code of ethics, signed complaint resolution policy, and guild quality reviews are third party, and they're all still five-star. We can't control or manipulate or change the reviews that you see on our contractors. That's done through a third party that we can't touch, and they're all still five-star. And speaking of third party, our lines now are completely lit up, completely lit up. We're going to get to all the calls. We're going to have to take a short break first, but before we do... Last hour, we had our good friend and Rosie Certified 
window contractor, Sal Saccato from Dunright in. And he says, Rosie, there's one thing I forgot to say. My office is in desperate need for an office manager. Our existing office manager gave us a six-month notice. They're going Moving to Alaska. They're going to Homestead <laughs> in Alaska. And there's no way I can keep her from that dream. So Sal Saccato from Dunright is looking for an office manager. Rosie Wright Remodeling is growing. We're looking for tradespeople. We're looking for estimators. Rosie on the House Radio Production Company is looking for admin support. We're looking for executive assistants. We're, look, we're looking for anybody. So if you're looking for work, contact Rosie on the House. Let us know what you want to do. We'll find a certified partner to help you out. You tell all your friends and I am the man to see Baby, I'm your handyman. And we'll try and be yours, starting with Ian who's called in at one 767 4348 That's one 888 you. followed by Sue, Matt, Robert, Tracy. Let's see how we can help everyone out this beautiful Saturday morning. Floor's yours, Ian. Good morning. I have a patio roof that's a flat roof that I had a foam covering installed about five years ago, so I'm at about the time when I need to look at getting it re- repainted or recoded. And I was looking at whether that's something that I can do myself. I've done a lot of painting, and it's rather accessible uh, right off the back patio. Um, can you recommend what type of product that, that I would use, or if that's something that I should um, be able to do myself, or if that's something that I should get a professional to do? Ian, well, where are you? I'm in Mesa. Okay. Um, tell me what the rest of the roof is. What drains on to that flat foam patio roof? Um, I have a tile roof, and I recently had that redone by a Rosie partner. Okay. And um, the, roof, the roof coating was about five years ago. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, here, here are the things you need to consider. There's a very specific elastomeric that needs to go on that roof that can be hard to find. Uh, you can call one of the Rosie certified roofing contractors and see if they'll sell you uh, a couple gallons of it. Uh, it needs to go on extremely thick. Uh, it needs to be cleaned thoroughly. It needs to be dried thoroughly. Many times you'll see guys taking an actual pressure washer and holding the nozzle a good two to three feet away from the roof, but getting all the dirt out of all the little wrinkles of that foam roof. Get all that dirt out. You'll see them brushing it. You'll see them hosing it. You'll see them cleaning it then that has to be totally and completely dried. Then you can roll it on, but it needs to be rolled on thick, three to four mils. That's as thick as a credit card, okay? And then you want to be careful on how it ties back into that tile roof and what flashing is installed right there. I would tell you, uh, if a Rosie certified roofer foamed that roof, I would call them and ask them, what will you charge me to come clean it and recode it? And then ask them, how much will it cost me to buy the paint? Ian, when I think you see the difference of having it professionally cleaned and done, as opposed to buying it yourself and trying to save a little money, I'll leave it up to you what you decide to do. But I think the Delta is going to convince you 
why don't you guys just do it for me? I, I don't know that, but ask that question. Will you sell me the product? What would you charge me? And let's go from there. But tying that back to that tile roof and however that was flashed is critical. And cleaning is extremely critical. All right, sir. There. We appreciate the call. And there are some roofing specialists, you know, like Beacon's a pretty big one. Then you've got ABC Roofing is well, one of the ones that a lot, a lot of our guys use, Elite Roofing. Suppliers. Suppliers that you can go buy uh, that Elastomeric product from if you are going to do it yourself. And uh, It's pricey. Just, uh, the right product is pricey. Yeah. It's like people that want to do insulation themselves. I tell you, you're crazy. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. So, appreciate the call. Let us know which uh, you decide once you get those uh, two numbers together. And, you know, it would be great education for uh, everyone else. I'm trying to get to Sue. There we go. Welcome to the broadcast. How may we help you? Sue. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hello, Sue. Yes. Oh, nice. Oh, I love your show, well, thank by the you. way. Thank you. And it seems like I remember sometime you uh, uh, answering my question on okay. a show, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. Um, right. I have a venting, a venting issue on my roof. Okay. Um, like under the eaves, there's like little, there's boards with little holes with screen behind them right. for venting, I right. guess. Right. And then I have other vents on the, you know, on the peaks of the roof and on the front of the house. Okay. So do I need all those little holes? Because I think smoke and, um, and uh, noise gets in there. Okay. Now you mentioned you have a venting issue at your home. And I'll tell you, Sue, everyone, everyone has a venting issue at their home. And I'm not going to be able to answer this in the little bit of time that's available between now and the bottom of the hour news. So I'm going to beg your patience and ask you to stay on hold. I'm going to bring you back into the conversation. And for the sake of all Arizona homeowners, I'm going to answer absolutely, positively, completely the question on attic ventilation. When we get back, Arizona, it's Sanderson Ford country. On that live broadcast last week, I got to pilot the Rosie on the House Ford Transit down Interstate 10, and I was just tickled to death how many people would just pop, pop, wave their hand out the window and give me a high five. It, it just tickled me to death. That Transit is a nice ride. It's really an incredible vehicle. And the thing I loved about it is loading it and unloading it. I could stand upright and not have to worry about knocking my head on the top of that sliding door. It was full height. I love that vehicle. And I tell you what, I also love, I, I came back to the office and for some reason, everybody in the company was parked. It looked like a fleet 
of Sanderson Ford F-150s and 250s. I mean, they were lined up uh, rearview mirror to rearview mirror to rearview mirror to rearview mirror. And I looked at that and I thought, man, every one of those vehicles over the last 20 years has come from Sanderson Ford. And in my prior company, 20 years prior to that, all the way back to the 80s, I haven't bought a vehicle any other place than Sanderson Ford since I had my first buying experience there in about 1980 or 1981. And if you'll go have your buying experience at Sanderson Ford, you'll do the same thing. You'll never go shop anywhere else, regardless where you live in Arizona. Get to Glendale. Get to the 65-acre automobile lot at Sanderson Ford, the most award-winning Ford dealership in America, number one Ford dealership in Arizona. You get there, walk on the property, shop, and buy like I did 40 years ago. You'll never shop anywhere else. Six days a week, Monday through Saturday, open all year long. Go check them out. As we were going to the bottom of the other news break, we were talking to Sue about attic ventilation, and she wanted to know if the holes at the bottom underneath the eaves were necessary for the ventilation. She said she felt smoke and sound got up in there. Yeah. Um, and it, Sue, anything that travels through the air will go in there, and that's okay. The thing you have to know about attic insulation is the more you have, the better off you are, generally speaking. If you have a vented attic, the little holes you're talking about with the wire on the back, in the trades, we call that bird blocking. And it keeps the birds from getting up and into your attic. And those holes are designed specifically to allow outside air into your attic, where then you should have other points higher up in the attic where that air, heated air, can exit, uh, either through a dormer vent or a whirly bird or gable in vents. You want your attic to breathe passively and naturally as much as it can. You never, ever want to put a power fan in the attic to help increase the air circulation. That's a big no-no. You want a nice R30 to R38 insulation above your living space. That insulation has to be blocked away from the bird blocking so that bird blocking can create ventilation. Do not block up those holes. You'll be sorry if you do. I know you have other vents there. That's for the attic to exhale. And the attic won't have anything to exhale if you block up those holes because that's where the attic is inhaling. And if you block those, the attic is going to start inhaling your indoor air that you've already paid to heat and cool. It has to create, it has to make up if it's losing air, it has to make up that air from someplace. And it'll do it from the easiest place it can. Leave those vents. Do not power 
ventilate your attic. Do not put radiant barrier in your attic. There you go. That's attic insulation. All right. We appreciate the call and the education. Let's see. Matt, uh, Matt has been next on the line, holding the longest at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you, Matt. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, I had a question. Uh, we're building a cabin up in the shallow area, and on the plans that we initially got, they just were some generic uh, electrical and whatnot. And we're in the framing stage, and I noticed in the bathroom there is not a um, exhaust fan. Is that required by code? or? No, it's not. Uh, you, I would guess that those same bathrooms have operable sliding or, or opening windows. One does and one does not. One's on the complete interior. The so one, that's why we were a little concerned about the yep, moisture. Yep, yep. The one that doesn't have a window. Uh, I don't know Sholo uh, City of Sholo Building Code requirements. Generally speaking, in the areas I build, uh, if a bathroom does not have any natural ventilation with an operable window, a fan is required. They're not that expensive. Uh, there's, and, there's no reason for you not to put one in. I would put one in even in the bathrooms that do have windows. And it's a lot cheaper right now before the drywall goes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell you, I, I tell people all the time that I'll give you recommendations. Uh, Matt, when we're doing remodeling and building at Rosie Wright Remodeling, my guys have fallen in love with this Panasonic um, bathroom fan. It's extremely quiet. It moves about 250 CFM on high. You can have it with a heat light in it. You can have it with an ambient light in it. And uh, that's the one exhaust fan we're putting in more than any other. When they tell us, Rosie, just put in what you like, that's what my guys are installing. It's a, it's a Panasonic unit that worked real well, and I think we're buying it wholesale for well under 175 bucks. You can't beat that. So... Um, you're, you're at the right point in the framing stage. Go ahead and put them in. We appreciate the call and congratulations on a nice, uh, little summer cabin and show to escape and get out to during the s summer heat of the Valley, which is, I'm sure is what you're doing. We've got, uh, I think line two is next on and I don't see a name, so I'm not sure who we're going to. But wants to talk about finding a... Is it Charles? That is Charles. Yeah. Okay. Charles, welcome to the program. Hello. Yeah. Hi, thank you. Hey, I'm I'm trying to figure out where my... If I have a sewer clean out. I've got one on the side of the house. And what I want to do is backwash my pool into the, the sewer. But I don't want to do it on the one on the side of the house. You're only... You're only... Is there an easier economical way to find an in-ground clean-out? Well, every, every home is only going to have uh, one area of clean-outs installed. And depending on when the home was built, it's either a one-way clean-out or a double-sweep clean-out. But they both go to the same place. The most economical way for you to backwash into that, and some cities, most cities will allow that. Some cities frown on that. Uh is to get to a pool supply company 
and and just buy a really long hose and run it down there and backwash into that. That's going to be the most economical. There's no reason to put a secondary clean out anywhere around the outside perimeter of the house. And most cities will actually like you to backwash into the sewer system. Uh, but if you're on a septic, don't do it if you're on a septic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So does that make sense, Charles? Well, yes and no, but I, I was told not to go into the one on the side of the house. That's the only – you're not going to have two. I don't know – I don't know who would have who would okay. have who would have said that. Was it a plumber? Was it a pool guy? Was it? I, th- I think it was a pool guy. More more than one person has told me that because you 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 start flushing a bunch of water in there and you run the risk of uh, if there's a backup down the line, then it then you got the toilets or drains as the escape route. Oh no, yeah, no no doubt about that. I mean, if you've got any indication that you've got a plug down drain. Um, backwashing could be a huge event inside the house. (laughs) Have it scoped or cleaned first before you... If you want to do that, any of the plumbers could run a camera down there and just verify that the line is clear to the sewer tap and and, uh, backwash away, man. Uh, I I can tell you most pool companies use the clean-out and with little or no trouble if the plumbing system is in current good working order and backwashing is quite a bit more water volume than a toilet flush <laughs> so you do want to make sure uh, the path is clear but it doesn't make sense there's no way for us to install a secondary clean out uh, easily without saw cutting getting inside your home removing the toilet that's closest to your pool equipment um, I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars. Uh, if it were me, I'd put somebody uh, inside the house. I'd turn on the pool, backwash it down there, and at the first sign of, you'll know by you, audible hearing it, whether it's flushing down or starting to back up. Have somebody over at the pool pump ready to turn it <laughs> off. <laughs> I'd, I'd do that before I'd spend several thousand dollars putting in a second clean out. I hope that helps, Charles. And as Gary D's working on screening, what a load of callers! Yeah, Jennifer (laughs) usually is here, but she's got a she lost her voice on a recent trip, so she didn't feel she could uh, call screen. Uh, We've got our weekly to do that we usually do in this third segment of our ten o'clock hour, our open home hour, and it's uh, designed to uh, tackle one element of maintenance around your home and. This one kind of necessarily isn't a maintenance one for a lot of you because a lot of Mm. us don't have mini splits yet. Um, But mini splits, just like your regular air conditioning unit, still needs to be uh, looked. You still have filters to clean there. You still got to make sure you've got the proper not much of one the proper charge. (laughs) And uh, we've got our article on uh, on how on, on what to do if you do have a mini split now. Where do you use a mini split? They're designed as space coolers. You know, what, what used to be your window unit. Your window unit is now a mini split. They're more, much more efficient than the oh, window units. They're more efficient than central heating and air. Yeah. And there are some areas and smaller homes where you could have two or three mini splits, and that's your entire cooling system and not have a central. Uh, and, and we will probably see a lot of the design of the future homes 
uh, that are, you know, in the 2,000 and under square foot range being designed to have a mini split system instead of a It's the way the rest of the world air conditions their homes. Yeah. They don't go with a central system. They go with mini splits, dividing the homes into zones. That that don't live in the desert. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, and they're great for garage. If you've got a hobby garage or even if you've got expensive vehicles and you don't want to pull your hot truck in uh, or you want to be able to back your vehicles out and use that expanded space, they are great for garage cooling or hobby room coolings. If you've got... Um, it costs less to cool a room with a mini split than it does to evap cool it. That's how efficient they are. Yeah. And you're not introducing all that moisture. We evap cooled our garage for what, Romy? 25 years? Uh, and you're dealing with that humidity, which is good for the hoses and the parts of the car. But boy, it's kind of hard on the toolbox. All those tools in there. So mini split's the way to go. The only thing you need to know about a mini split is if you've ever bought a Black & Decker Dust Buster, the filter in that dust buster is better than most filters you get in a mini split. <laughs> so you probably will have to have an independent filtering system if clean air is critical to you. I like it so much. Let's do it again. All right. You know, one of the things question i get i get a lot of questions during the week and, and a lot of the staff handle it and i appreciate that but we got one uh from a gym that says i got a quote for a walk-in jacuzzi tub could you tell me what a fair price for that would be and i i wrote back i said no <laughs> I, I would need to know a lot more and he said well how about twenty five thousand dollars and i said that Sounds about right. <laughs> Does it? That, um, that, I, I thought yeah. they might have still been a slightly low, but not that, knowing the size. Or that, if if all we're doing is. is going in there and taking an existing five-foot conventional bathtub and converting it to a jacuzzi-style walk-in, sit-down jacuzzi tub, uh, that's going to be about right if we're not replacing flooring if we're not replacing the toilet the lighting the mirrors the cabinet the countertop the and all that because it'll it'll click up from there really fast but what you need to know about a jacuzzi or not any brand what you need to know about a walk-in sit-down tub is you have to walk in naked close the door turn the water on and sit there the whole time it's filling up that's not too bad but then when you're done you have to push the drain and sit there as the water goes down the small of your back, around your privates, over your thighs, down your knees, to your ankles, before you can open the door and step out and dry off. So they are extremely luxurious experience sitting there in a sit-up soaking tub that has Whirlpool jets on it. It's an incredible experience. But I have heard some complaints about the waiting time, sitting there, twiddling your thumbs for it to fill up, and chilling yourself while it's draining. So all things you need to know. You know, that we were talking about mini splits. The other thing we were going to talk about, somebody wanted to know, can I hang my own sheetrock? What are some tips 
for hanging my own sheetrock. I, I, well, the first tip I can give you is hire it out. <laughs> hire it out. When you're hanging sheetrock, let's say it's in a new room edition, and this is an area maybe you and your contractor decided you can save some money because it can't be that hard. The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to hang the ceiling. And to hang the ceiling, you're going to have to have a, a spatial conception of making all the cutouts that are up there on the ceiling for the recessed cans, for the ceiling fan junction box, for the exhaust fans. And you're going to have to hang this sheet of sheetrock over the top of your head. And you have to almost attach it blind because you're standing in the middle of the sheet and you're looking down the bottom of the ceiling joist and you're lining up your screw gun and you're sinking the screws. And you sink the first one, that isn't enough to hold the rock up. You sink a second, a third, and a fourth one, that's just barely enough to hold the rock up while you then add supplemental screws. It's definitely a two or three person job if this isn't something you're accustomed to. It's a very heavy piece of sheetrock, and I would tell you for ceilings in particular, do not hang eight-foot sheets. Hang 12-foot sheets. It'll be that much less taping and texturing when you're done. Now, once you have the ceiling done, then you take your first sheet of sheetrock on the wall and you lift it all the way up to where the top joint of the sheetrock meets the ceiling. And then you do the same thing. You start driving your screws the sheet hangs itself then depending on the height of your room you take the second seat of sheetrock and you slip it down underneath and you use toe kicks and jacks underneath the plywood underneath the sheetrock and you lift that bottom sheet up to meet the top sheet you've already hung that's going to leave a little space down at the bottom that you're going to have to fill with something. But don't worry about that. That's going to be behind the baseboard. It doesn't have to be anything pretty uh, unless you finish down to the floor, which is a whole different issue. Hanging sheetrock is a tough job. It's a really tough job. And if you're, if you're so determined to do it yourself, call me back after you get the first four or five sheets hung on the ceiling. And let me tell you what they charge to hang it. And then you tell me if it wouldn't be worth it to have somebody else. If you could find them, everybody's kind of busy right now. But hanging sheetrock is a tough, tough do-it-yourself job. Once it's hung, I can teach you how to tape it, texture it, and finish it off. Folks, we hope we've uh, educated you all a little bit about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Hope you've enjoyed the visit. I certainly have. Romy certainly has. And we'll be back next Saturday.